This week on the podcast, talking to 350.org about why you should get rid of your digital department. This is Using the Whole Whale, a podcast that brings you stories of data and technology in the nonprofit world. My name is George Weiner, your host and the chief whaler of wholewhale.com. Thanks for joining us. We're talking with the chief product officer of 350.org about how they made the shift of getting rid of their digital department in favor of focusing on products. Don't worry, no techies were harmed in the making of this podcast. I'm excited to have you here this conversation and hopefully get you thinking about how your organization views uh, digital inside of your organization. Today's guest is Hannah Thomas, the Chief Product Officer of 350.org, joining us, I believe, from London? Yeah, that's right. Brilliant. I feel like that's the right thing to say, right? Brilliant. Welcome. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. It's one of my favorite words. Thank you. Well, Hannah, uh, I am a big fan of 350.org, but maybe we should start with what exactly 350 is and the mission there. Sure. Um, 350 is a really nebulous, huge um, organization that uses campaigns and organizing and mass public actions to keep fossil fuels in the ground and to accelerate the shift to renewable energy. Um, And we do that mainly by online campaigning, grassroots organizing and direct action to oppose new coal, oil and gas projects, take money out of the companies that are heating up the planet and build 100 percent clean energy solutions. Um, And we operate in 188 countries around the world. This sounds uh, very relevant to the needs of the planet right now. And certainly there's been a, a big swell of interest in uh, you know, the, the U.S. around the, the Green New Deal. Have you yeah. seen larger shifts in you know, support and awareness on your side of the fence? Yeah, I think last uh, Friday at the time of us talking, it was the largest mass uh, public action around climate change in history, and that was the school strikes. Um, so they were precipitated by Greta Thunberg, who's this incredible teenager um, from Scandinavia, and she called for a lot of kids around the world basically to walk out of school um, in protest against the lack of sort of uh, action on the part of national governments. And over a million kids walked out of their schools um, in countries all around the world, and it was really inspiring to see. Yeah, I mean, it's great to have organizations like yours out there organizing and aligning uh, aligning the needs of the humans to help themselves, to help the world. Uh, I want to turn to chief product officer because that sounds awesome. Uh, but mm-hmm. can you tell us a bit about what your job entails and how you found your way there? Sure. Um So my job right now is really different from the job that I was hired to do. Uh, I was hired just over a year ago um, as the digital director. And um, that was 
overseeing a team of digital staff that was around 35 to 40 people and it encompassed absolutely anything to do with a computer so from video production to social media to web development to um, ergonomics you know I was being asked to kind of help people think through like what their laptop and desk setup should be um, and it became pretty clear to me uh, pretty quickly that it was just a bit of a tangle. Um, and so I've spent the last year overseeing a big sort of restructure and rethink of how we do digital at 350. And right now um, I'm leading a new product team and we're much more, uh, we've got much more of a narrow focus on our tech tools in particular and data analysis. Um, so things feel a bit calmer this year than they were last year. Um, and and a bit more focused as well. So you're telling me I shouldn't just lump everything that blinks, buzzes, and plugs into things into one department and have that person just say, hey, you're in charge of all of the internet and technology <laughs> and the computers. Yeah, you can try to, but um, I think that's a pretty good recipe for your digital directors going bananas. Um, and potentially a high turnover of digital directors. Um, and it's really hard then for people within the digital team to really focus on what they're good at. Um, if you're asking, you know, a web developer to help you out on your video that you want to post on social media, like that's not a great match of skill sets. Um, and I think, I think basically one of the overall objectives of this process has been to enable people to focus on the work that they're really passionate about and that they're really good at and allow people to specialize a bit more instead of fending off like a thousand requests a day that might be about, yeah, literally anything to do with anything that blinks and buzzes. So I want to understand a bit more how 350.org is using technology to create impact because, you know, you were just talking about a march, right? It's just people on the street. I think, why do I have to care about the data and tech tools and my website if, you know, if, if they're just going to get out there and organize? Like, that's where the action mm. happens. What is, you know, what is your thinking around that? Sure. Um, well, we, ha we have so many teams in so many regions that all have really different um, goals and ways in which they organize to achieve those goals. Um, so one of the things that we do and that 350 was really built on was, yeah, these mass days of action. And we did a really huge day of action last September called Rise. Um, and what we needed to do then was provide a, a tool set for um, our volunteers and local groups around the world, of which we have hundreds, um, to be able to organize their local communities to turn out um, and really convert, you know, people who are who are turning out on the day and bring them more into the fold, bring them into the local groups um, and allow them to take sort of more and more actions from there. So in terms of the need for a tool set around organizing, it's really basic stuff like can that local group run their own mailing list? Can they collect contact details? Is there a way for them to see, you know, uh, the last time that they were in touch with a volunteer or a member of staff to get support? Um, so that's one thing that we do. Another thing that we do is campaigning and lobbying. So we will run petitions around certain targets 
Um, we have a campaign running at the moment against HSBC, a campaigns in Australia against big fossil fuel projects there. And it's important for us to be able to apply pressure when we need to, like via tweet storms or call-ins to representatives or yeah, or petitions. So that's that's pretty um, familiar model, I'm sure, to a lot of your listeners. Um, and then the third thing that we really need to do is try and influence the conversation, the public conversation around climate change. Um, we make so much incredible content. Um, we have all of these amazing videos and blogs coming out of our local groups and teams around the world. And um, it's a matter of making sure that as many eyes as possible can see it and um, see our messaging and really try and wrestle back some of the um, some of the conversation from from people who don't want us to make the a just transition. Gotcha. And, it, you know, it's important to note, even though, you know, a million people may march. Guess what? We didn't solve the problem. We have to reengage and sure. remind um, again and again. And that's when you're talking about the, those CRMs and ability to communicate uh, with that. Can you give our uh, our listeners an idea of, you know, how big is your digital footprint? How do you how do you measure that? Because you're, you're talking about a lot of different mediums here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> I don't I don't want to give any secrets away. I suppose we have uh, we have a sizable email list um, and. It's been a task to actually merge all of that into one email list um, because we have a lot of of different affiliates and groups and campaigns going on. So when I arrived, I think we had 17 separate lists, which now is in one. Um, and that means that we can pull much more accurate reports um, about what makes our supporters um, open something, uh, take action on something or share something. Um, and that's been and will continue to be a big focus, like skilling up our team when it comes to data analysis and testing things as well. Um, and then we measure stuff on social media and um, impressions, especially when it comes to a day of action, like how far and wide um, is the word getting out? Who are the people who are tweeting about something or sharing something? Um, and we're trying to build more partnerships with different outlets when it comes to sort of distribution strategies around video and things like that. Um, but I think at the end of the day, like you said, we we haven't solved the problem. Um, it, you know, our reach and our uh, impact needs to be, you know, even bigger than it is now. And that's partly why why we're making some of these changes. So I want to turn to uh, something that got me very, uh, very interested. And you wrote uh, an interesting piece on Medium, and it's part of this dialogue about firing your digital team. That sounds completely contrary to what you were just talking about, the impact that can happen online and the need for this. What do you, uh, what do you mean by firing your digital team? Um, so I'll clarify. I definitely don't say that you should fire. Literally said, team. just fire anybody who knows anything about the internet. <laughs> just fire them all. Like I read it very quickly, Hannah, and I'm pretty sure that's what it said. But you may want to clarify. <laughs> um, yeah, I can clarify that no digital staff were harmed in the making of this new um, this new restructure. Um, 
yeah, we've, we've kept all our digital stuff, which, um, which was really important for us. You know, it, it definitely wasn't that we were over capacity in any way. We were hugely under capacity when it came to what we needed. Um, so when I say you don't, I think what I say in the piece is, um, you might consider that you don't need a digital department. And I stand by that because, um, it felt very siloed and it felt slightly outdated that there should be this, um, you know, relatively small group of people within an organization who held and hoarded all of the knowledge when it came to digital skills and tactics um, and operated sort of more as a service team rather than as partner with um, offline campaigners and organizers and other staff. And I think now that, you know, 350 is 10 years old um, and the world is very different and the ways in which we campaign and organize are very different. And I think right now it's very hard to be a purely offline campaigner or organizer. I'm not sure that that's possible. Um, anyone who's trying to, um, you know, achieve some sort of social impact, I think, needs to be able to know how to reach out to people online um, make contact with people, build relationships, um, mock up a flyer or a, you know, a sort of action really quickly and send it out. And um, so it was trying to get myself into the headspace of if 350 was starting over today or like if it was founded today, how would we structure this organization and how would we structure this team? And um, where we landed was something that looked quite different from from what we had. I love it in here in this article, um, you know, talking about, you know, if we started today, would we have a digital department? And you say, like, uh, we don't have a paper department. Paper is not a skill. Digital is not a skill. It seems like you're pushing us toward a democratization of, quote unquote, digital, because it's not either or. And I wonder if you can push that uh, a little bit farther. And, and did you use that as a as a metaphor internally to, to make this case? Because you're changing hearts and minds. Yeah, definitely. Um, we did. You know, partly um, we want to skill up the people who, who do hold digital titles internally. But um, a big goal of ours is to skill up everyone, you know, and make sure that digital trainings are accessible to everyone on staff um because like you say everyone knows how to how to write on a piece of paper or make a phone call um and it should be the same everyone should know how to like make a little edit on a wordpress site or um or make a social media post um and and tag relevant partners you know it that shouldn't be stuff that's delegated to other staff um and another metaphor that we used internally that that I think helped convey the idea and that was quite compelling um, because it wasn't just about distributing digital stuff it was also about making sure that we had enough tech focused capacity to sort of plug any gaps um, and that resulted in the build of this product team and the metaphor that we used was that the product team was really um, really like Q uh, the character in James Bond, who's the one that is making all the fancy gadgets um, and that the other digital staff that were being then um, 
placed in other existing teams like communications or program. They were our secret agents. They were our James Bonds going off. Um, and their mission was to really uh, infiltrate, I suppose, and skill up the rest of the organization when it comes to digital skills and tactics. Um, and that's really where we are right now. We've kind of done that build up of the product team. We've done the initial redistribution of digital staff and now we're kind of in the second phase where it's like okay what do we need to do what trainings are we trying to roll out um and where are the where are the other gaps that we might need to plug and i want to make this maybe a, a bit more tangible for our uh, listening audience and we'll have resources uh, there's a beautiful org chart and i think this is what solidified it for me where mm -hmm. we're considering the productization of what we're doing internally and it looks like under the chief product officer you know just to paint this picture we've got your data science product department you've got your web products you've got your organizing and campaign products and then you have your crm so you really have these tight little uh bundles of uh, you know product purpose and, and then aligned under chief product officer can you tell us maybe a, a bit more about the evolution of that yeah so I did a lot of talking with consultants that we hired to help us think through this, but also, you know, CTOs or digital directors at other organizations and asked them how they were really structuring their their teams that were sort of meeting the technical need. And everyone does it really differently. If you're a sort of single issue organization or if you're a for profit company with a product that you're trying to ship it's much easier to kind of build a team with lots of engineering capacity and have really streamlined agile processes um that you can follow pretty in a pretty right way as far as i can tell um but with 350 because we work in multiple languages and multiple countries um with multiple tactics and targets so many of the technical needs that we're trying to meet cross-cut across data, web, CRM, and organizing campaigns tools. And so we wanted a team that encompassed all of those with specialists who could then take ownership of certain pieces of that work. Um, so I'm trying to think of a tangible example. I mean, so one thing we're trying to do right now is constantly balance the need for finding tools that will scale and replicate for as many languages and regions as possible without um, throwing any region under the bus. And a lot of tools that we're currently using um, are ones that were built for North American people working in North American organizations. They don't have multilingual capabilities when it comes to using the back end. So we've had to incorporate in our thinking, what do we need to be able to meet multiple needs all at the same time? Yeah, that makes, uh, that makes sense. And perfect to segue potentially here into our pro versus con game where I, uh, I'm excited because I think we should focus today's game on should you dismantle your digital department? We'll say uh, we're speaking to mid-size organizations, we'll say, and which which side, pro versus con, would you like? <laughs> well, I definitely am pro. I think you should. 
Oh, oh, no, I'm happy to do it the other way if that's more fun. Uh, you know what? This is all about fun, so let's go okay. the other way. Okay, sure. <laughs> uh, I'll begin by saying, Hannah, we should be dismantling our digital department regardless of our medium size or lower size because it conceptually silos the important work that should be democratized across an organization such as editing, I don't know, even your own staff page or an article you have expertise on. What do you say to that, Hannah? Hmm. Well, I would say that maybe uh, you would be lowering the quality of um, the output and that you should leave uh, you should leave hard things to the experts. Someone wise once told me paper is not a skill. <laughs> we have to enable people to own uh, their own mediums for for creating content uh, and writing it and I think we get a we get a lighter lift when many hands are able to do the work as opposed to creating a absolute sort of uh, choke point in an organization saying that all of these tasks have to go through that department and even the comms team is just not allowed to touch their section of the site and it can't possibly be posted to social media until it goes through our, our tight little digital team to, to make sure the image is exactly aligned. What do you mm. say to that? What would I say to that? I'd say maybe you need to consider branding and how coherent you want your messaging to be. And if you leave it all open, like maybe digital isn't a skill set, but what about everything else is communications something that you want a tight control on or design um and that you would have to think really carefully about those things before you roll this out there's another saying don't make perfect the enemy of good in an environment of lightning fast communications quick turnarounds and the need to respond I think the true cost of slowing down our work on digital, our ability to communicate with you know people via multi-channel uh, mediums, can actually do far more damage uh, than somebody maybe putting a, a small typo in an email or maybe just having an image skewed just slightly. What do you say to that? Mm. Well, to be devil's advocate, I would um, I would question the need to sort of replicate the urgency and speed of like for profit tech startups, for example. And, um, you know, a lot of the work that we're doing to try and build progressive movements and and move towards a more just society, you can't just do that on a whim you have to um you have to be considerate and you have to be careful about how you do these things um and maybe you don't want to be sending things out the door every second minute my final point here is that if i had a doctor on staff i would not want them fixing my copier i don't ask the chief executive officers to sharpen pencils the idea here is having high leverage work being done by high leverage folks and the fear I have of not dismantling the digital department is that high end, high competency tech staff, instead of doing something that can impact a thousand or hundreds of thousands of users if done properly online, is suddenly debugging your 
IE8, Windows, Chrome, what have you, problems locally instead of doing their high leverage work. And I just heard of an organization, actually, uh, I don't know if you've heard of it, 350.org, and they are hiring IT support underneath the operations <laughs> department. What do you say to that? <laughs> I have nothing to say to that because I completely agree with you. <laughs> um, so uh, thank you for playing. I don't know if there's any final points. I think one nuance is, is really the size of the organization. And, you know, somebody sitting here being like, yeah, sure, if we had 350's resources. But what's interesting is that you came in, and even with your resources, just it wasn't viewed this way. So it's almost like a conceptual shift coming back to that point. Yeah, I think that was a really interesting exercise to have to argue against my own opinions. I think one one thing I would say before talking about resources is um, the thing I was saying just then about speed and and the fact that this approach might be an inherent might might be an approach that's inherently oppositional to the sorts of work that we do. Um, I think I just want to say I I don't. I completely understand where that concern comes from, and I don't think it's accurate. You know, so much of how um, these sort of uh, agile principles that product teams work with, or, or more, or tech companies are more familiar with, so many of those are based on on principles that social justice movements are really familiar with, um, like emergent strategy, like um, trying something, failing, trying again, um, dusting yourself off, trying something differently. It's, it's all the same kind of thing. And, and, um, I think that's been, that's been one conversation that's been really present over the last year, sort of having to defend this approach as, as not being one that fits easily within the environment that we're working in. But I, I think we can conceptualize, uh, it, a bit differently than that. Um, and then when it comes to resources, I mean, yeah, I, I'm lucky that 350 and the leadership there have been able to say, okay, that seems like a bold idea, uh, like convince us. And, you know, I, I, I'll say that, yeah, you know, I, I think I did a good job of doing that, but, um, but being able to marshal those resources has, has made a big difference. Um, but just because if you work at a smaller organization that does, that isn't at the same scale or doesn't have as many resources, you know, pick the first thing. Um, you don't have to do an, a, a like wholesale uh, transformation. You can um, you can pick one thing and try and detangle that. And maybe it is the first step is hiring IT support. You know, that is something that beleaguers so many digital staff and so many organizations. If you can convince your team to make that one higher, maybe that frees up 45 minutes of your day every day, um, and then you take it from there. All right, we're going to move into the rapid fire round. Uh, before we go there, any final advice to, to somebody mulling this over right now at their organization? Uh, yeah, I think the one thing that I haven't spoken to um, so far is the process that I went through. Um, of sort of landing on this conclusion. And when I first joined the first, when I first joined 350, um, the first task I did was um, undertake a digital assessment. And that involved interviewing 40 staff, um, interviewing 15 partners and funders. And I sent a survey out to the, the rest of the 100 and something staff as well and gathered 
so many responses about how they thought 350 was doing when it came to digital, what were obstacles that were in the way, what were things that um, people thought that we should be doing instead. And out of that, I really built this case. Um, and the recommendations that we landed on, the decentralization of the digital team and the build of the product team, that was really that wasn't me coming in with an agenda or coming in with a grand idea. That was really built out of all of these um, different inputs. And it would not have worked if I had come in with a preconceived idea of what 350 needed. That wouldn't have worked at all. It was really built um, out of me reflecting back to the organization what it was saying to itself, you know, and and that made it much easier to get buy in. And I would encourage everyone mulling this over to think how to build a watertight case for change. I love that advice. Alrighty. Rapid fire round. Please keep your responses to around 30 seconds. What is one tech tool or website that you or your organization has started using in the last year that you love? Um, we've just started using New Mode in Canada and the US and now Europe. And that's been really great because it's um, it's enabled our digital staff in those regions to experiment with different tools like uh, getting our supporters to write letters to the editor and stuff like that. What is a tech challenge that you need to solve in the coming year? Two big ones. Um, one is really just skilling up the the team um, when it comes to testing. And the second one is our CRM. And I think we are about to do a big CRM migration, which is absolutely terrifying. What is coming in the next year that has you the most excited? I think really nailing our tool set um, for organizing campaigns tools. Um, we use some tools at the moment, which are great, but they don't meet all the needs of all the regions. And like I was saying earlier, they're not available in all languages. Um, so I'm excited for us to really spend some time digging into that. And by the end of the year, having like a menu of options that works for all our staff, no matter where they live and what language they speak. Talk about a mistake that you made earlier in your career that now shapes the way you do things today. Oh, earlier in my career. That's such a good question. I think I wish I'd known about um sort of lean principles like 10 years ago i started a couple of web-based projects um in my 20s um yeah like websites or um yeah tools blogs things like that and i think i did a lot of thinking beforehand and worked with developers and things to build something uh based on how i wanted it to be instead of really testing it out first, building an MVP, seeing how that went. Um, and I think I think that's a natural thing to do if you're kind of a a perfectionist or but it yeah, it doesn't help you get to your your result of wanting to reach as many people as possible with that particular project or site. Do you believe that nonprofits can successfully go out of business? Um, I'd hope so. I mean, I certainly don't want 350 to be around forever, um, because that would mean that we weren't uh, we weren't adequately solving the climate crisis. Um, so yeah, we live in hope. 
If you were to jump in a hot tub time machine and go back to your very first day of work at 350, what advice would you give Hannah? Um, Take a deep breath. (laughs) And yeah, I think I, I had done some good prep. I'd read this book called Your First 90 Days or something, and I'd, I'd had a pretty good list of questions I wanted to ask and things I wanted to get my head around. Um, and was, what I wasn't prepared for was like the sort of onslaught of information and also the number of calls at different hours of the day because of uh, multiple time zones. So I think I would have maybe set some parameters around um around yeah like when certain information I think like when you start somewhere you want to kind of help yourself be able to digest information in a sequential way rather than drown in it um and maybe I would have felt a bit clear on that before I started what is something you think you should stop doing I think sometimes I will kind of throw things out to the group or the team. So if people are if people are like, oh, we should really do this, I tend to I have a tendency to um, have a coaching style, and I'll say that sounds cool. What do you think we should do? And kind of throw it back at them. Um, and often that has like a positive uh, outcome where we're like generating ideas. But sometimes I think I'm not reading into the request for me to be more directive. Um, yeah. And I think maybe I should take a pause before defaulting to a habit, a habitual response. If you had a magical wand to wave across the industry, a Harry Potter wand, if you will, what would it do? Um, I think we'd have more platforms than Facebook, essentially, to reach um, mass groups of people and algorithms that were more in favor of our work, finding the people that want to support our work, or just better, yeah, better ways of reaching people that aren't dependent on tech giants. How did you get your start in the social impact world? Um, I started volunteering uh, sort of almost 12 years ago now for a grassroots organization in London called the Otesha Project, and it was focused on peer education around sustainability. And uh, it organized cycle tours around the UK for young people who would visit schools and do workshops around um, sustainability. And so my first foray into the social impact space was coordinating cycle tours and riding my bike around the southwest of England, which was amazing. and very different from being at my laptop for uh, hours at a time now. What advice would you give college grads currently entering into the market looking to move into the social impact sector? Well, I think this is a hard one because it depends on on your resources um, and privilege. If you are able to volunteer at places that you're interested in and passionate about, that's always great. Um, and whether or not you're able to, whether or not you're just scouring for an entry level job, I think from both um, being managed and managing over my career so far, I think my biggest piece of advice is kind of perform at the level that you want to be, not 
what your pay grade is. Um, because if you're looking to solve problems, um, no matter, you know, what the seniority is, you, you just find yourself solving more and more complex problems that are more and more useful to the to the movement or to the organization that you're in. Um, and I think, yeah, like not having any limit on on your level of ambition when it comes to solving problems uh, that that will really then just help you in your career. I have to say that is excellent advice. Uh, and finally, how do people find you? How do people help you? Uh, I'm on Twitter at Hannah Thomas, H-A-N-N-A-T-H-O-M-A-S. And people can definitely get me on there. And uh, yeah, if you have unsolicited advice or help, it's always welcomed. And if you want to do something about the the old earth getting warmer issue, uh, it sounds like 350.org is the right place to start. Absolutely. Yeah. Visit 350.org. You can sign up to our mailing list or you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Hannah, thank you so much for sharing your, your wisdom with us. And I am sure it will go on to help many, many people. Thank you so much. Links, as always, available in wholewhale.com slash podcast, episode number 119. And there are some great resources there that Hannah shared. And we'll, uh, we'll also link to the, the article she wrote, which really maps this out well and hopefully may make the case easier to make for your, uh, your executive team uh, if, you, if you do choose to go down this path. Good luck. This has been Using the Whole Whale. For more resources on today's show, please visit wholewhale.com slash podcast and consider following us on Twitter at Whole Whale. And thanks for joining us.